The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and being children, we're heirs of God, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, we will suffer with Him in this day. But there's coming a day when things will be set right. But notice he moves right on, verse 18. But I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed. When I think of glorification, Paul says, when I think of the glory that's awaiting us, when I think of the fellow heirship that we have, I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't even worthy to be said in the same breath. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue our study in the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Fellow Heirs with Christ. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. I'm a fellow heir with Christ. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, thy God, has anointed thee. You remember the first chapter of Hebrews quotes this. I'm reading the 45th Psalm. And uh, he's speaking to God, the Son. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And we're specifically told that in Hebrews 1. And then he says... Therefore God, the Son, thy God, the Father, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of ivory palaces, stringed instruments have made thee glad. What a picture of splendor it is to just get a glimpse into his inheritance. The 110th Psalm, the Lord says to my Lord, again you see the triune God, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Or I think of the the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th Psalm. 22nd Psalm, the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said, who lays his life down for the sheep. And the 22nd Psalm is the great picture of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, the crucifixion, the good shepherd laying his life down. Then the 23rd Psalm. The great shepherd who's risen from the dead, Hebrews 13 says, and he is now, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want presently. He takes care of me, he feeds me, he leads me beside quiet waters. But the 24th Psalm moves from what he did on the cross, the 23rd then, what he's doing now, and the 24th looks ahead to when he returns. And the 24th Psalm opens, the earth is the Lord's. And all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Uh, We should enjoy, we should enjoy that Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and we are fellow heirs with him. I mean, there's no higher thing that I can state. It stretches my ability to speak when I speak of my position, your position, Christian, as a fellow heir with Christ. Turn over to Revelation. Look at uh, Revelation 5 with me for just a minute. You know, the book of Revelation uh, is such a beautiful consummation. It's such a beautiful ending to the Scripture. And uh, it's so good to realize that when the book with seven seals that's in the Father's hand on the throne, 
When Jesus Christ opens that sealed book, and he's the only one worthy to, why it culminates then, and the book of Revelation unfolds with the opening of these seals, and it culminates in this statement in chapter 11. There arose loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. And there's just loud voices in heaven saying, He has become king of all, and he will reign forever and ever. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord. And, of course, it continues to cascade, you might say, the whole book, and you get to the 19th chapter, and uh, everyone in heaven sings hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. But look at the fifth chapter, and again, read it, think about it, because we are fellow heirs with Christ. Think of who Christ is in God's economy, and then realize that as as a child of God, we are an heir of God, a fellow heir with Christ. Let me just read the chapter. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And in Roman times, the uh, title deeds were sealed like this scroll was sealed. And it's written on both the inside and the outside. The outside kind of tells you what's inside. But to break the seal, who is worthy? And it's a picture of kind of the title deed, you might say, of the world. Who's worthy to open the book and to break its seal? And no one in heaven, verse 3, or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. There was no one worthy. And I began to weep greatly, John says, because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Stop weeping, John. There is one, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And I saw, verse 6, between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing, as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came, and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Oh, all of heaven will praise the Lamb who is worthy. And we are fellow heirs with him. Read verse 10. And thou hast made them men bought with thy blood, he says in verse 9, from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. I mean Christ inherits everything, and we inherit it with him. We are fellow heirs with Christ. Uh, you can hardly think on that too much. But that does not mean, that does not mean, as we're often told today, that does not mean that the Christian life will be smooth sailing and easy. Look back now at Romans 8. 
And notice how he ties this together. It does not mean that because you're a Christian, because you're a child of God, God's just going to give you your heart's desires. He's going to give you good health. He's going to give you wealth. That's a perversion of the gospel. That's uh, a twisting and distorting of things, and it leads many people astray. And so Romans 8, of course, doesn't do that. And uh, nowhere else in Scripture does either. That's yet future. But Romans 8 says, we are fellow heirs with Christ since, indeed, we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, said, listen, a slave is not greater than his master. If they love me, they'll love you. But if they hated me, they'll hate you. Don't be surprised if you endure some real suffering. And just as the Old Testament constantly spoke of the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow, so the New Testament teaches that suffering precedes glory. And so verse 17 teaches very clearly that, yes, we are fellow heirs with Christ, but the whole score isn't in yet, if you will. And we do suffer with Christ. We are fellow heirs with Christ. And right here and now, it is part and parcel of the Christian life, suffering. And uh, it's a mistake to think anything else. Suffering precedes glory. And I emphasize that once again, the if of verse 17 is not, now if you'll go out and suffer, you'll have an inheritance. Not at all. It's an if of argumentation again. It's because we're suffering. We, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and being children, we're heirs of God, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, we will suffer with Him in this day. But there's coming a day when things will be set right. But notice he moves right on, verse 18. But I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed. When I think of glorification, Paul says, when I think of the glory that's awaiting us, when I think of the fellow heirship that we have, I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't even worthy to be said in the same breath. Now, that's one thing to say when you're feeling good, you know. It's one thing to say in a comfortable pulpit. It's one thing to say when we're singing praises to God and everything's going our way. But to say that in real suffering, that's a different story. And yet, Paul is the one who wrote this. Paul knew plenty about suffering, didn't he? Turn over to 2 Corinthians. I want you to see just a little bit of who the author of this is humanly. 2 Corinthians 6 In much endurance, in afflictions, verse 4, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments. That's the fellow heirship that Paul had enjoyed up to now. In imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. Verse 8, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report regarded as deceivers and yet true. He not only suffered all the outward persecution, but he was misunderstood and regarded as a deceiver. Christian, when you are lumped in with the religious hucksters of our day, when people at work assume that you're just a fraud like some other frauds they've seen, that's part of suffering for Christ. 
Uh, sometimes in some settings, I hate to admit that I'm a pastor when I see what people have been seeing on the television screen or whatever from some so-called pastor. But I'll tell you what, uh, Paul knew that too, and our Lord was slandered. And to be a fellow heir with Christ is to be misunderstood. Or chapter 11, turn over to chapter 11. Second Corinthians is a book where he gives you a lot of his heart. He tells you what's happened in his life. Uh, verse 24, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and left for dead. Remember? Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea. Dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. That's real suffering that Paul experienced. And apart from such external sufferings, look at verse 28. There is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Who's weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? That's the one who said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared. I have calculated it, he said. And the word he uses for I consider is a strong term. He's thought it through. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he tells us these sufferings of this present time, immense as they might be, aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Look at one more passage in 2 Corinthians. Look over at chapter 4. The end of chapter 4. Verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. You know, part of the suffering of this age is just the fact that our bodies are decaying. And we kid about it. You know, the outer man's going downhill, but it's not something light at all when it really starts to happen with intensity and disease starts to really ravage the body. But he says we don't lose heart. Why? For momentary, verse 17, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. What a statement. You know, every time the Bible speaks, it seems, of our inheritance, this is emphasized. When Peter speaks of our inheritance in chapter 1 of his epistle, he says, imperishable, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you. And he speaks of the tremendous glorification that's awaiting us. He goes right into suffering. And he says, you know, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that we might result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Scripture regularly teaches that suffering precedes glory. And so Paul, almost uh, as a parenthesis here, puts it there, but it really isn't because it's so part of what we're dealing with. It's part and parcel of life. If we are children of God, why doesn't it look that way yet? If we're heirs of God, if we're fellow heirs with Christ, why are we going through the sufferings that are part and parcel of life today? 
because it has yet to be revealed what's going to be given to us. And we're waiting. The whole creation is groaning, he's going to go on and say. And we ourselves are groaning, waiting eagerly for our redemption, the full completion of our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. You know, all, all men are subject to suffering and death. All Christians are subject to suffering and death. There's no exception. Uh, the potential is there. We're not any different than the lost in that sense. But we know. We have perspective. I challenge you. Determine to live and if need be, suffer and die, not for yourself, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. Now, I want to just stop and give five quick applications. There is so much here, and one could say so much about uh, our inheritance. But let me give you five things as we close. First, suffering is not inconsistent with sonship. Don't you let Satan or some false teacher or some misguided Christian teacher tell you that if you're suffering, there's something wrong. Maybe you're not right with God. No, no. Suffering is not inconsistent with sonship or even divine favor. I mean, look at what he's lavished on us in chapter 8. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption indwells us. And suffering is right there. Secondly, If all such suffering, and it is intense, there are people in our midst right now suffering. If all such suffering is dwarfed by the glory that's to be revealed to us, think what the glory must be. Uh, You've read the accounts of some of our brethren who have suffered in our generation, for the Lord's sake, the torture You can read about it in Hebrews 11 at the end of the chapter. Men and women of faith, tortured, suffering. If all such suffering is dwarfed where it's not even worthy to be mentioned, just think what the glory to be revealed to us is. And you can't think on it too much. You can't too eagerly await the consummation, the revealing of Jesus Christ and the sons of God. Oh, we should look forward to it. Thirdly, To be a fellow heir with Christ is to be an inheritor of the universe. Think about that. Stop all grumbling. Have you this week grumbled? Have I? We're fellow heirs with Christ. Have done with all comparisons. Doesn't it turn you off when one of these high-priced athletes compares his salary to somebody else and says, it's not fair, I'm only getting $10.2 million. Doesn't it just instinctively make you just, ugh? Well, what do you think we do when we compare our lot with somebody else? We're fellow heirs with Christ. He's given us everything He has. He owns the universe, and He says it's yours. You're an heir of mine and a fellow heir with my son. Well, how come I don't have the same? Don't talk that way. It humbles me to even say it because I hear myself. Don't do any comparing. Don't get caught in that comparison thing. 
don't, uh, don't hoard up riches down here. Don't lay your treasure up down here. We've got a universe of treasure awaiting us. And Jesus specifically said, listen, lay your treasure up in heaven where moths and rust can't get to it. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We are the most materialistic, security-minded generation of all time. Beware of hoarding it up down here and trying to enjoy your inheritance down here. You're, uh, you're a fool to do so. And Jesus said, don't. It'll capture your heart. And how many Christians do I know and do you know who've lost their cutting edge, who've lost their first love for Christ because they're busy trying to enjoy their inheritance right here and now in a physical, earthly way, cheapening it from what it really is. You say, Scott, shouldn't we have a savings account? Listen, I'm not talking about the details here. I'm talking about your heart. And I would say, if anything, chances are you're imbalanced on one end of that spectrum because I think we all are when you read the Scripture. Fourth, live boldly. <laughs> live joyously. Live rich. I was interesting to, to look at this. You know, the 24th Psalm, the earth is the Lord and all it contains. And Paul quoted that in Corinthians 10. When he's telling them, look, you can eat any kind of meat you want. Don't worry about asking a lot of conscientious questions, whether it's been sacrificed to idols or not. We've got freedom because, and he quoted that verse, the 24th Psalm, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. 1 Corinthians 10, 26. Live boldly, live joyously. Uh, live as a child of God. Live as a fellow heir of Christ. Don't be bound up with legal constraints and narrowing the Christian life down to just kind of uh, negatives. Enjoy who you are in Christ. And then fifthly, boldly witness for Christ. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, he said. Think of that. All authority is his. He's the king of kings. And what did he say then? Go therefore. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Be bold in your witness because all authority has been given to Christ and He's with us till the end of the age and we're fellow heirs with Him. And that's how He closed off the whole book of Matthew and that's the great commission He left us with, to be bold because of who we are in Christ. Fellow heirs with Christ. He's got all authority in heaven and earth. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. People may not believe it today, but there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Fellow Heirs with Christ, a message from our series in the book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. 
The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the Ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. The Bible teaches, and Romans 8 teaches, that the creation is neither in its original condition nor in its final condition. Remember that. It's not what we see today, as majestic and awesome as it is, and we do see His eternal power and divine nature, but someone could, and people do, they might see the intricacy and the majesty, but they don't, and they rightfully would say, yeah, but when I'm out there in it, uh, I enjoy it on certain days, but on other days it's very <laughs> threatening. And in some days there's storms that rip through, and why is that? And if God is good and, you know, the questions can be raised, well, the Scripture answers. The creation has been subjected to futility. And things aren't what they're meant to be, and they're not what they're going to be yet. Though you can still see the reflection of God's eternal power and divine nature. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Awaiting Glory. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.